Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10, we're going to be finishing the chapter this morning. What? No, really, it's only a few verses. Come on, guys, we can do it. Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to be looking at verses 35 through 39. Let's read it and then pray together. Verse 35 says, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the persevering of the soul. Let's pray. Lord, thank you very much for your word this morning. Thank you that Jesus, you are the anchor to our souls. And thank you that the word is nourishment to our souls. And we ask that this morning we be anchored and we be well nourished. We ask the Holy Spirit, you would instruct us in the things of God, that we might draw nearer to God, that our lives would be transformed. We say together that we don't want to live lukewarm Christian lives. And we don't want to be religious. We want to have a fiery, real love relationship with Jesus. And so, Lord, come and move in our midst. Do a deep work. Cause us to be a humble people before you. Get our eyes off of man. Get our eyes off of circumstances. Get our eyes off of the holidays and drama and all this stuff. And put our hearts and our eyes squarely on Jesus. Do that for us, Lord. So we ask now that as our Bibles are open, our hearts will be open. And that you would instruct us wonderfully for godly living. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of this message is Tips for Tumultuous Times. Tips for Tumultuous Times. Of course, the Hebrew audience was experiencing tumultuous times. Their Christian religion here, these Hebrew Christians, their Christian religion had been labeled illegal in the Roman Empire, and they were now being persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ. And it was dangerous for them in that society just to be a Christian. It had already cost them their property. Some had already been imprisoned. It very well might cost them their lives. And so they're living in very difficult times. And the author is wanting to encourage them to keep the faith. And so the first thing that he does from chapter 1, verse 1, through the middle of chapter 10, is tell them more about Jesus, figuring if they knew more about Jesus, it would be silly for them ever to walk away from him and fellowship with him. And that's a good strategy. And now he's encouraging them with application, having given them rich Christology. And they're receiving some tips now for persevering in days of difficulty, tips for tumultuous times. Now, we can't really understand their difficulty. We don't have anything like that here in America. Property being seized merely for believing in Jesus Christ, being imprisoned for professing faith in him perhaps your life even being threatened. We can't understand that here in America, but we have brothers and sisters around the world that are experiencing that. Nevertheless, we have our own drama, don't we? And it's weird about drama. Drama is drama. Hi, Courtney. God bless you, sweetheart. You're back in church. Courtney Atkinson, God healed her. There she is. (laughs) 
She just came through some radical drama a couple weeks in the hospital. Very, very sick, and we were all praying for her. And here's the thing about drama that Courtney knows, and Courtney would tell you, is whether you're being persecuted for your faith in Indonesia or you're laying in a hospital bed in Santa Barbara, it's all very real. It's all very real. And we all need to turn to God in those times. No matter what your drama is. Now, as a nation, we're experiencing some drama. We're in the midst of a recession. And some of the people are saying maybe one of the biggest ones that we've seen in almost 100 years. More than half a million people have lost their jobs in the last few months. We just experienced the local fires here in Santa Barbara. We're living in the context of polarization, of increased secularization and yet re increased religious fervor at the same time. Society, even Little Carpinteria, is becoming more and more polarized. Christians becoming more bold in their faith, standing up for what they believe, taking a righteous stand. Non-Christians are becoming more vocal in their opposition to Christianity. And so we're living in tumultuous times. No, we're not being threatened for our faith with our lives. No, not yet. And yet we are living in tumultuous times. And the text today gives us some tips for living in tumultuous times. Three very simple points. The first thing that we see we're supposed to do is draw near to God. Fundamental, foundational, no-brainer. Hard times, draw near to God. Courtney, isn't that what you do when you're laying in that hospital room for a couple weeks? Drawing near to Jesus. The doctors were baffled. They didn't know what to do. There was nothing your parents could do. You couldn't buy your way out of it. You were drawing near to Jesus Christ, and that's what saw you through. The first point is that we draw near to God. The second point, very important in tumultuous times and days of difficulty, is to do the will of God. And we'll unpack that in a moment. We need to draw near to God, but in hard times, we also need to do the will of God. And then finally, we need to have an attitude of waiting for the Son of God. That's really going to help us in hard times. If you'll grasp that, that Jesus is coming, and your posture is to be one of waiting for Him, that's going to help you persevere in difficult days. So, drawing near to God, doing the will of God, and waiting on the Son of God. Drawing near to God is what's being spoken of in verse 35. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. Don't throw away your confidence. Now, what is the confidence that's being spoken of here? It's not financial confidence. It's not social confidence. It's not speaking of your own intuition or ingenuity or your intellectual prowess or your network. It's not talking about any of those things. The confidence that's being spoken of was mentioned already in verse 19. Let's read in verse 19 of Hebrews 10. Since therefore, brethren, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. So the confidence that's being spoken of in context here is drawing near to the person of Jesus Christ, that the way to God has been opened wide through the cross of Christ, that that veil that separated fallen humanity from a holy God has been rent, torn in two from top to bottom by God when Jesus offered himself up on the cross. 
We see this beckoning into the throne room in chapter 4 as well, if you want to glance there very quickly. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in the time of need. So it says here in chapter 10, verse 35, do not throw away your confidence, the confidence being communion with God. That we have confidence to draw near to God, to commune with God, to be intimate with the person of Jesus Christ. Don't throw that away in tumultuous times. It's strange, but that's what we often do. It's even counterintuitive to the redeemed mind. Something in the redeemed mind knows, gosh, times are hard right now. Things aren't making sense. These are difficult days. I ought to draw near to Jesus. But that silly old flesh of ours, don't you just hate it? Sometimes it seems to kick in, and though we know the right thing to do, we do the very thing we don't want to do, and that's drift. I've seen myself do this in my own life, and I've walked through life with many of you when you've done this. Hard times come, and though you know somewhere in your redeemed mind, and by the Spirit of God that you need to cling right now, Times are hard and you find yourself drifting. Whatever your rationalization may be, it's not fair what I'm going through. It doesn't make sense. Why would a good God let bad things happen to good people? Why is this happening to me? I don't understand. Whatever your rationalization might be, we seem to find ourselves drifting. And the exhortation here is don't throw away that confidence that you have to go directly to Jesus. Don't underestimate the glory of that and the wonder of that, that you and I actually have access to God. Have you ever been in the midst of tragedy, Christians? And it was so hard, but you so sensed the nearness of the Lord in the midst of it, and you wondered how non-Christians got through that stuff. You ever been there? I've been there so many times in life, and you're thinking, how does someone that doesn't have Jesus get through this? Well, the truth is God causes the rain to fall on the wicked and the righteous alike. God loves the world. God is good and God is kind. And even for non-believers in the midst of tragedy, he draws them with cords of kindness, the Bible says. But isn't it good to know for you and I who have our sins dealt with at the cross of Jesus Christ that we can just go on into that throne room? That we can, by the Spirit of God in us, cry, Abba, Father, and say, Daddy, I need help. This is overwhelming. This is difficult. This doesn't make sense. This is scary. This is too hard. Daddy, I need help. Don't throw away that confidence. In tumultuous times and difficulty, rather let that confidence increase. Let that sense and that expectation and the reality of drawing near to God increase in you. Because the Bible is very clear that as we move nearer to the coming of the Lord, days will be more difficult. And there'll come a time when you and I look around and say, Jesus told us there'd be days like these. And he told us what to do in days like these, to draw near to him. So the confidence that we have is in communion with God. But there's also a confidence that comes from communion with God, isn't there? We have confidence to commune with God, to be intimate, but there is a confidence that comes from intimacy with God. And part of, not, part of what we don't want to throw away is that as well. 
that being with Jesus, spending time with Jesus, gives us confidence in the face of opposition. Let's even think about it apologetically, if you will. There's a lot of questions that non-Christians have about our faith. There's a lot of questions that we Christians have about our faith. And we all have unanswered ones. That's why it's called faith. We all have some questions that are unanswered, and yet it is a reasonable faith. We've put our faith in the person of Jesus Christ and his historical death and resurrection and his promise coming again, haven't we? It is a reasonable faith, but nevertheless, there are questions. Haven't you discovered that a moment in the presence of God can answer a lifetime of questions? Not with just pat little answers, not quick little verses that are attached, but with that sure sense in your heart that I know Jesus and my sins have been forgiven and I don't understand everything, but Proverbs 3, 5 says, don't lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him. And then... That confidence then spills over into our ministerial lives, into our missionary lives, our missional lives, our evangelistic lives, our lives as we live them out for Jesus in our contexts. We have a confidence that we just know that we know that we know. And though we're living in the face of opposition, people that are mad at Christians, mad at Jesus, mad at Christianity, casting aspersion and doubt on the identity of Jesus Christ, though we are confronted with that, if we've cultivated communion with God, it gives us confidence in the face of opposition. We're not swayed by that. We're not wooed by that. We're not waylaid by that. We don't come to the place where we're like, yeah, maybe it's not real because we've really been with the living God. And there's just no questioning that. Amen? And that's what he's pushing them toward. He's saying, come on, guys, enter boldly with confidence to the throne of grace. Since there's a new and living way, have confidence to enter by the blood of Jesus. Draw near to God that place of refuge where you can be tucked under his wings, so to speak, and the sound of the world for just a moment is drowned out and you hear the heartbeat of God and everything's all right, even though the world is falling around you. He's beckoning them, he's pushing them, he's spurring them on to being in that place. And there's great confidence there in the face of opposition. You know, Psalm 23, which is familiar to most of us, expresses this pretty well. It begins by saying, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. There's a fundamental truth. The Lord is my shepherd. If the Lord is really your shepherd, you're going to find yourself in less and less want and more and more in a place of contentment, more and more in a place of safety and security and being okay. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then it goes on to talk about with his rod and his staff, he comforts us. Talks about he leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. But then there's this little part toward the end that's very profound. It says, he prepares a banqueting table for me in the presence of my enemies. Think about that for a minute. What does a banqueting table denote? Well, in that culture, it denoted intimacy. When you dined with people, it was an intimate experience. It was an experience of sharing. It was an experience of being near. And they didn't sit like across the table from each other with their napkins folded in their laps and their clean utensils that they just pre-cleaned once again with their napkin. 
The food was spread out in common and they would recline around the table, touching one another, heads near chests, feet near heads, and reaching into a common bowl and breaking off pieces of common bread. Very intimate, very much a lingering experience, very much an experience of sharing and communion and relationship. Now notice what it says. He prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. In other words, he prepares intimacy for me in the face of opposition. Because the way has been opened to Jesus Christ. When the world seems against me, God is for me. And I can draw near to him. Notice what it says. He prepares a table for me. So it denotes provision. Not only is there the possibility and the opportunity to draw near, but there is the provision of that and the provision of comfort because he's a God of all comfort through the person of Jesus Christ. And there's this confidence that comes from communion, even in the face of difficulty, tumultuous times, difficult days. He prepares a banqueting table for us in the presence of our enemies. Now, don't neglect that. And don't let that become ethereal to you. Let that be very real to you. I mean, you really need to, as a Christian, practice the presence of God. And from just talking to Christians, I know that there's a lot that have no idea what this means. We sit in the sermons and we read it in the passage and we nod because we don't want to feel like we're on the outside. We don't want to feel like there's something they know that we don't know. There is no secret knowledge in Christianity. That was a heresy in the first century called Gnosticism which claims some sort of secret knowledge. But you see, the knowledge about Jesus Christ is open. It's an open secret. It's open. And the way into his presence has been opened by the blood of Jesus Christ. There's no secret. There's no club. There's only an invitation. And what you need to do is to heed that invitation. And if it's something that you haven't been experiencing, I lovingly encourage you to experience intimacy with God. You say, but I don't know how to do it. I understand that. Well, let's start with a quiet place. Let's just start with that. You need to find a quiet place. Let's start with a quiet time right there. You need to find a quiet time. A quiet place and a quiet time. Somewhere in your home, on a hill, at the beach, wherever it might be, a quiet place and a quiet time without distraction where you can seek the living God. I encourage you to take your Bible, a notebook, and a pencil. And then to free yourself from agenda and say, Lord, what do you want? Lord, speak to me. Lord, here am I. Speak to me. I want to draw near to you. I encourage you to begin to worship and praise the Lord because Psalm 100 verse 4 says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Now, gates and courts are something that preceded the throne room. Gates and courts precede the throne room. The imagery there is of the Old Testament tabernacle and temple. And on the outside were gates, and then on the inside was the inner court, and then there was the holy of place and the holy of holies. And so there is a way in. You enter through the gates with thanksgiving. So begin to thank the Lord for who he is. Begin to thank the Lord for good things in your life. Do you feel like you have nothing good in your life? You're probably not right. But even if you were, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt, God is still good. Even if you can't think of anything in your life to thank him for, you could still be thanking him for his character and his goodness and who he is. And that's theologically right. And that's important that we do that. And we're obligated to do that as humanity, as Christians. 
to thank God. You see, when we begin to thank him for who he is and the good things in our life, it starts to get our eyes off of ourselves and onto him. Now we've taken a first step to drawing near. Now we've taken a first step to communion. We're getting over ourselves a little bit and we're getting into God a little more. So we enter the gates, just the outer place through Thanksgiving and then the courts we enter with praise. Begin to praise the Lord. Go beyond thanksgiving and start to praise the Lord. What does it mean to praise? Well, a very simple definition means to speak well of, to speak highly of. Begin to speak well of the Lord in your own heart and to your own heart and to the Lord God. Begin to praise him. Begin to worship him. Do you need some fodder for that? Do you need some fuel for that? Open up to the Psalms. Start around Psalm 90 and start reading the Psalms. That will begin to develop in you a heart of adoration, an attitude of praise, and now you're one step closer to drawing near to the Lord. But you see, the Christian needs to practice the presence of God. If we don't do that, everything is lost because the cross of Jesus Christ is not mere fire insurance, though it does save us from hell. The cross of Jesus Christ is not that we might just be freed from bad habits, though it is transformative. The cross of Jesus Christ speaks of love. And love does not happen in isolation, nor is it ethereal. Love is relational. And if we are going to really experience the love of God, we need to be practicing relationship with God, drawing near to God. And from that comes this great confidence in the face of opposition. I mean, their opposition was so great. They would be threatened for their very lives. They needed this intimacy. Your opposition is different. Some of you are going to suffer financial ruin in the months to come. Some of you are going to suffer all kinds of heartache and have loved ones die. Some of you are going to be slandered and maligned and attacked for your faith in Jesus Christ. Some of you have already lost much in the local tragedies we've experienced. You need to draw near to Jesus Christ. That's not a pat Sunday school answer. That's a very real and rich theological truth, which is a gift to humanity from God through Jesus don't neglect it. Don't throw away your confidence. So transformative is it, to use a word order that Yoda would have used, so transformative is it that it was recognized in the life of the disciples. Remember, they were maligned for their faith in Jesus Christ. They were attacked by religious leaders of the Jews, the Sanhedrin. And then look what it says in Acts 4.13. Speaking of the religious leaders, now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. 
They were untrained, uneducated, but they were taking on the religious leaders of Israel and only because they had been with Jesus. And they weren't fearful about it. They weren't timid. They didn't have a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. And there was this confidence that exuded their lives. And it wasn't self-confidence. It was God confidence. It wasn't arrogance. It was submitted humility that knows Jesus Christ. And I don't think the world knows anything more powerful than that. Don't throw away this confidence, it says, which has great reward. You got to convince yourselves of this by faith that there's really a reward to drawing near to Jesus, to turning off the TV, to getting up extra early, turning off the radio, whatever you might have to do to find that quiet place and create some quiet time there is great reward. That's what it says here. Don't throw away your confidence. Confidence in communion and from communion, which has great reward. Now, in context and in a broad sense of the book of Hebrews, that reward is our salvation. Both the eternal implications of it and the temporal implications of it. And our salvation has eternal and temporal implications. Eternal, saved from hell, to heaven. Hooray, right? Good news. Temporal, the blessings of God in our current life. The power, the reign of sin being broken in our life. The weight of guilt being removed in our life. The restoration of relationships. Wholeness by the Spirit of God healing blessings in our life, spiritual, emotional, relational, physical blessings in our lives. I like the way Psalm 116 speaks of it in verse 11. It says, Thou will make known to me the path of life. In thy presence there is fullness of joy. In thy right hand there are pleasures forever. In thy presence there is fullness of joy. In thy right hand, there are pleasures forever. Now, you just got to receive that by faith because I'll tell you what we do, and I do the same. We start looking for joy in all sorts of other places. We really do. If I just see the latest movie, if I just have enough fun, if I just get enough waves when I'm surfing, if I just get that one car, if I could just get this reputation, if I could just get this raise, if I only had that job, if she only liked me, if they only accepted me, if I only rented that house, if I only had hardwood floors, if so-and-so would only get over it, all these things. I do that. Do you do that? All the time in big things and little things. Sometimes there's this, this unrest in me, this indescribable sort of unrest, and I just feel like I need stimulation. I don't know if I, you know, you know how there's kids that are like that, that are just nutso and they just need stimulation. If you just hit them with a bat, they're good. <laughs> One of my best friends have a, has a son who's like that, and his son is my son's best friend, and he just goes nuts, just insane, and you just need to hit him really hard. He's like, oh, perfect, good. <laughs> just needs that kind of stimulation. Not talking about child abuse, just child stimulation. <laughs> but sometimes I feel like that, and I, I get this kind of like restlessness in me. Now, I'll tell you where that can go. I'll tell you where that could go. 
One of the places where that can go is to sin. That's somewhere that it goes really easily. I have this restlessness. And I, I, for those of you that know me know I'm kind of a, I'm a little bit of a nutty guy and I like to take risks. And I like to do things that are dangerous and stupid. That's just part of who I am. And so it's really easy for me to start doing dumb things when I feel that restlessness, okay? Just being vulnerable here. And so it could easily go towards sin. It could easily go toward the flesh. It could easily go toward running my mouth, saying things I shouldn't say, acting a way I shouldn't act, looking at things I shouldn't look at. It can easily go in that direction. Consuming things I shouldn't consume can easily go there. The other way that it can go is just kind of vegging out, zoning out. We've all been there. Oh, I just need to like watch a movie or something. I just need to totally zone out. <laughs> there are times when we need to do that and I, and I think it's valid and that's okay. There's times where we need to just zone out. I understand that. Totally. but it doesn't answer for me that restlessness. That, I don't even know what it is. I'll tell you where it goes on occasion and it's satisfied. It goes to God. I go to God. You see, I, I, I can either go to sin and just flesh out or I can just kind of zone out and just hope it goes away and just disconnect or I can go to God in whose presence is fullness of joy and satisfaction and where the longing and the wandering is answered once and for all. And I find that when I do that, there's great reward. I mean, there really is reward. There's transformation that takes place in my life. There's satisfaction there's confirmation of God's calling in my life. There's new strength that is gained. Gosh, I need strength to be your pastor. So far over my head in this thing. I need strength to pastor this church and other pastors that I'm called to pastor. Gosh, I need strength to be a good husband. I have the most awesome wife. She desperately needs me. It's God's design. I desperately need her. I need strength to be a good man for that good woman. I need strength to be a good dad. I've got an eight-year-old son. He's so into everything that I do. Hangs on every single word. I just can't go towards sin like I used to. There's too many consequences nowadays. I just can't zone out like that anymore. Too many people are looking to me, namely my eight-year-old son. I really need to go to God. I can gain, gain strength and confirmation and where character can be built. And the presence of God is a place where character is built. And when we fail to go to God, we fail to build character. It's his Holy Spirit building it into us. You know, I've got a little girl. She's four years old. Her name is Daisy Love. Man, that little girl needs me. Needs me to be a dad who is attentive. So that when she grows up, she doesn't go looking for affirmation from other men. 
She needs me to be a dad who is there, who's present, who is involved, who showers her in love and adoration, who makes her feel secure in my love. So when she hits her early teenage years, she doesn't go looking for love manifests as sex from other guys. That little girl needs me. And I need to go to God where strength is found, where character is built so I can be daddy to Daisy. and dad to Isaiah, and honey to Kate, and pastor to you. And we're living in tumultuous times, and the things that we do as ministers, and husbands, and wives, and moms, and dads are going to have great impact on the future of our nation and our church. Got to be a people that goes to God. Lord, Holy Spirit, draw us near. I haven't made it through my first point, Lord, but I think we're going to stop right here and just draw near to you. Lord, you know our lives. You know what's going on. And you know the confidence has been given us to be able to draw near. And it comes from that. And I sense that this morning we're a people that need strength. We're people in whom you want to build character. And so we're going to wait on you right now, Lord. We're going to wait and we're going to draw near and we're going to let you come and do a good work in us. Make us the daddies we need to be. The husbands, the sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, the ministers and the workers and the students. Make us the men and women we need to be, Lord, come. Prayer team will be up here if you need help this morning. I really think the Lord wants to do some deep, good stuff in us. Draw near and let him do it.